snack time? Here we go. Blue Diamond's habanero barbecue flavored almonds. So tangy and zesty and oh, but there's also Blue Diamond's wasabi and soy sauce almonds, bringing that flavor with a kick. Okay, I'm having both. Blue Diamond almonds, super flavor, all on a super food. All right, that's underway. Now we can continue on. Michael Fontaine, Digger Dog, Bama. Boom to you, you gorgeous one. And uh, Logan Black, good to see you. The stunning Candy Romero from Vegas. Nice to have you here. John Blair, good to see you, former prime minister. And uh, who else is here? Truthertainment, Reptilian Overlord, good to have you both here. And Pono, what's happening, man? And uh, let's see. Noble Patrick, nice to see you. And I think I'm almost caught up. I uh, think I'm almost caught up. Remember the suit, Nicholas Shaughnessy. Good to see you. I'll have to type the rest out. Remember, a good way to support this show is through the Super Chat. Hi, gorgeous and talented Kira. The lovely Kim Jellin. And I need a favor, people, because it's time to rock. Horns up. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at YouTube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old baby the favor hit that subscribe button you can follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram spaced out radio show and on tiktok at spaced out radio our website spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you rock out to bumblefoot read shirky poo's newswire check out our swag as well tonight's show is brought to you by chive charities help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. we got a great show planned for you tonight. We're going to start off with Caroline Corey. She talks about a tear in the sky. You're going to learn all about that tonight. Then in hour number three, we got another spooky story from the swamp. Courtesy of Swamp Dweller, Fedora John brings in the unbiased UFO report. Shirky Poo's got the news. Award-winning filmmaker and author Caroline Corey is here. It's the second time we've had the opportunity to interview this brilliant mind in ufology. And what she has the ability to do is actually take what she is thinking and actually put it on film. Based on her personal experiences, Caroline has always been fascinated by existential topics. Study of consciousness, for instance. Mechanics of the universe. But recently, she got involved in UFOs big time. The science of it, the understanding of it, the meaning of it all, and it all came together in a brand new documentary which you can find on Apple TV, which you can find on Amazon Prime, but only in America, not here in Canada. That's why I went to Apple TV. Caroline Corey and a tear in the sky right here on Spaced Out Radio. Caroline, welcome to Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me, Dave. This is awesome. I think people should just go to the website and they'll see all the platforms. So if you're in Canada or anywhere in the world, just go to the website, etherinthesky.com. That works too. That works too. Sorry about that. I was just so excited I forgot to mention your website. I'll be honest with you. Carolyn, I don't watch a lot of documentaries and I'll tell you why. It's because it seems like it's the same characters in the same saying the same thing with just a different title. But this one, A Tear in the Sky, you went in a completely different direction than what we are used to. And the critics are finding out about this. The critics are loving this. It's starting to become award-winning, and you're getting a lot of applause and praise from around the United States and the world regarding this documentary. We're going to get deep into it over the next couple of hours, but what brought you to the interest of the Tic Tac and creating a tear in the sky? Well, actually, I wasn't necessarily interested in the Tic Tac itself. It kind of all came about, uh, you know, it's, it's, you always think it's by accident or by coincidence, but there's never a coincidence really. So I actually had many sightings and experiences for the longest time, but I was more involved in the study of consciousness, you know, communication, uh, contact, things like that. Um, and so, but I was going to actually, for those who saw my previous film, Superhuman, I was going to do the sequel of Superhuman a couple of years ago. And then I just had this, this inspiration. No, 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 no. Do a movie on UFOs. And I'm like, really UFOs? You know, I don't want to just rehash the same thing. And I realized that, um, you know, my perspective was like you were saying, totally different. Um, as a filmmaker, anyway, what you do, the first thing you do is to look around and investigate and make sure uh, that there is an, a similar film out there or somebody who's already covered the subject the way you want to. And so I was shocked to realize that no one has done a scientific approach to the subject of UFOs. So when I got the inspiration, I'm like, of course, I have to go out and do exactly that. And, um, and so it, this is how it, it, it happened, really. Um, and um, then I stumbled on Kevin Day. And, you know, I think most people know who he is by now, the radar operator who caught the first Tic Tac uh, yes. video in that video. And so, so when I spoke with him, I told him I want to do a scientific uh, investigation into UFOs. He was like, wait a minute, that's exactly what I want to do. So he already had a team together and uh, we wanted to find, go and collect any UFO, you know, just like anything. And sure enough, we end up capturing very similar ones, which was mind blowing. And we're going to get heavily into that here and the results because there was a couple pieces in there that blew my mind. They really, really blew my mind. Things that we really haven't seen before in other documentaries, which use a lot of different stock footage of UFOs and, and other phenomena that seems to happen. Why did you think it was important once you met Kevin Day to tell this story? 
Well, because of the, I mean, how much his life was affected by this event. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had seen him talk about it here and there online, but when I spoke with him, I was so touched um, that uh, I originally, I didn't even want to cover the story, but when you really meet the man, you know, and uh, also the other guys, you know, Gary Voorhees, Jason Turner, and a couple of other guys, Ryan Weingalt was also in the film. Uh, all these guys, I mean, their life was destroyed because of this event. And so, so I went from not even wanting to talk about it, just going straight to the investigation, to totally starting with that story and kind of weaving it in with uh, the scientific discoveries that we made. And what happened was, it was all connected at the end of the day. We literally went full circle. We ended up capturing the exact things, other things too, but one of the things we capture were very similar Tic Tac, the same ones that destroyed their lives 2000, you know, in 20, in 2004. So that film ended up being a sort of retribution, you know, um, uh, of, of this whole, they kind of, they kind of found closure. I feel because of that. You know what? Let's talk about the feelings that go along with that right now, because you interviewed Kevin, and you could see him at the beginning beginning of the film start to break up, start to cry, because this is a man who loved being in the United States Navy. And after his naval career, he had planned to go into private contracting and hopefully continue on where he got to help the Navy increase and expand and, and become more technologically advanced. But then 2004 happened, and he was the main man responsible, for people who don't know, on the USS Princeton, who was running the, the radar, tracking these Tic Tac uh, objects and he was the one who recommended that they send fighters up, including Commander David Fravor, to go investigate the Tic Tacs. But shortly after that, and I'll let you explain, this entire event shaped him and his reputation on the shift where everybody on that boat started making fun of him. Yes, absolutely. So when he talked about it uh, to his commander, I don't know how it works on, on the ship, but uh, to his superior, I guess, uh, he was asked to not talk about it. And then the rumors started on the ship and there were jokes and cartoons written. I couldn't believe I got a hold of the cartoon that was written about him. Blew me away. Uh, yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was the exact same one. And so we put it in a film. And just imagine, I mean, you've been in, the, in service for 27 years, right? You're on a ship, you have all your shipmates around you, and something happens to you and everybody's laughing at you at the end of your career. You know, how embarrassing is that? And so that totally destroyed him. And uh, yeah, when I interviewed him, I couldn't believe how how emotional he got. And uh, and because of that, it kind of made me even more wanting 
to go and capture something, like just for the sake of proving that he was right, you know? And that's exactly what we did. And exactly what happened. But the emotion in him, like I got to interview him one-on-one on stage at UFOCon 2020 in San Francisco. And listening to him, I mean, he sounds very stoic. He sounds very uh, professional when he speaks. He sounds very, very into the unbelievably uh, advanced technology that he was seeing on his radar and which he saw for a 10-day period, literally hundreds of these things, and then the effects of what it did to him. And you could see it's like a light switch that when he actually thinks about it, it breaks him down. Like this ruined him. It ruined his marriage. It, I believe it cost him his home. It, like he couldn't do anything and not just him, but you take, you know, the, the bearded wonder who we call around here, Gary Voorhees. I mean, Gary's never been the same as well. Gary's been to treatment all because of this event, because the responsibility of the entire fleet was on their shoulders. And in the end, they have an unknown adversary and they're being blamed afterwards. They're being laughed at afterwards. I mean, no wonder these guys were walking away with PTSD. I know. And even if you noticed, you know, Gary also broke down at the end. If you really look carefully, he was tearing. So, so that's that. I mean, I was just like so touched by these guys and their story and how, um, you know, so that's why the movie is even more meaningful in addition to all the science and everything else that we brought, like you were saying, footage that's never been seen anywhere before, plus how it related to their story for, you know, bringing them the closure. I'm just beyond ecstatic what we've done here. What has been the reaction from people around the UFO community, but more so from outside the UFO community regarding this film and the realities that you brought? Actually, it's really, really, the reviews are amazing. I want to say 95% of the reviews have been incredibly positive. Uh, very, very supportive. There's always one or two people who are going to, whatever, trash your movie, no matter what you do. And, and, and they have the right to do so. But in general, the response has been tremendous. And I love this because this is the mainstream. These people who aren't necessarily into UFOs, these are film critics, also festivals. I won, I think, um, Five so far, five uh, festival awards and maybe seven uh, official selections. I, I, I'm losing track right now. But I mean, quite a lot of recognition, again, from the film festival circuit. And these are because these are mainstream folks, you know, commenting on the content, you know what I mean? On the story, on the content, on the footage, on the production quality. For them to really give positive reviews is huge. And so what I feel is happening is um, for the folks who are in the UFO world, um, who are believers, so to speak, I think this film gives even more uh, credibility and more kind of empowerment. Like, hey, we went out, we collected real data scientifically. This is, you know, this is the way 
it's been done. It is going to be done. It can be done scientifically with all this equipment. But for the mainstream, I think now they're starting to open up to the subject because we approached it from a scientific perspective. And of course, also because we had William Shatner. Hello. You know, I mean, that's the first thing, you know, a lot of people are watching the film because of William Shatner. And so, you know, people will say, well, you know, do we need, you know, some people who want to really nitpick and say, criticize here and there. But at the end of the day, what are we trying to do here? I'm trying to make the UFO subject credible, relatable, believable, and uh, mainstream. I mean, let's stop this whole paranormal, you know, woo-woo stuff. And let's talk about the subject uh, in a mature, you know, normal way, like the government's doing right now. So so I think um, it, it, that's exactly what the film is achieving. And I'm ecstatic. I know you're excited about the science and everything that goes along with that. But I'm very curious, at any point when you were seeing the the emotional reactions from Kevin, from Gary, the other veterans, even the scientists on board like Kevin Knuth, and, and the reaction that they were having, did you at any time feel that this was going to be personal for many people on board? I didn't realize it was going to be that personal for Kevin and Gary and Jason, and, you know, the Navy folks. I mean, I was really like, wow. Well, because we didn't know we were going to capture the Tic Tacs. You know, it was like, you know, before the film, just think about this. How many people go on expeditions and like nothing happens, right? And so, so I'm thinking, wait a minute, like we're putting this whole team together and all this equipment and all this money and all this, you know, uh, the production and what if nothing happens? <laughs> so, so there was a lot at stake here and I was just praying for one thing. Well, one really good thing. I mean, come on, you know, um, that we could measure scientifically and bring that sort of data. But we walked away with, incre- like you were saying, this, what are the odds that a similar tic-tac-like object traveling the same way, you know, against the wind would be captured during the filming? What are the odds that we would capture these raining ones falling down in the water, just like Kevin Day was saying, in the film? So, and plus and plus, you know, more things, as you know, we captured. So... So what I'm saying is, like, uh, the emotional impact was way, totally blew my mind. Yeah. I think it uh, blew my, I think it blew my, sorry, I'm just having some audio issues here. Uh, There we go. There we go. Uh, It totally blew my mind as well regarding, you know, everything that you guys went through and and the technology and everything. And we're going to get into the technology side here in a little bit as we approach our first break. we got about five minutes to go. Caroline Corey from A Tear in the Sky is our guest tonight. I'm very curious regarding your aspect of, of learning about these people, putting this group together, bringing the UAPX team in with people that you wanted with the technology and and the the sound and and the sightings i mean you wanted to go really focus on the technology the technological side on here why did you decide to focus on that because it hasn't been done 
No one's ever done anything at that scale before. That's what I was saying when I was doing my right. research. Uh, you know, me and my production team, we were like, wait a minute, are you sure? Like, there's no scientific ever. <laughs> I mean, there are the guys in Norway, of course, they do a great job, but nothing at that scale and with this type of technology. That's why the technology, the devices we brought, and it's all thanks to David Mason, um, who pretty much owns all of the equipment, all almost all of the really, equipment yeah. that's in the film. Yeah. And so, so... So that's why that aspect is extremely important because that's what makes this film a first. That's what makes this film very, very different and unique and very powerful. Um, and that's the reason why, you know, we have to focus on the technology and the, right. and the devices we brought. Uh, yeah. And, and you know what? What did you know about this technology before going in? This had to be a crash course for you. Well, I mean, the typical stuff, you know, the night vision, the FLIR cameras, you know, I, I, I was aware, of course, and the, the typical full, I mean, I own full spectrum cameras and things like that. So that wasn't, you know, too unusual. But what was mind blowing is uh, the, um, uh, the David Mason's inventions. I mean, this is like crazy stuff. I mean, this guy is a genius. You know, he is, he's the nicest guy also ever, you know, yes. uh, so humble and so smart. And he brought along not, not just he owned the equipment and he brought along, but he had those inventions where you literally could, uh, it was binoculars and night vision where you could point at an object in the sky, potentially a UFO or anything. And you would capture the light signature of the object. So, and convert it to sound. So basically you hear what you see. That blew and, me away. And, and, and you can uh, send that, that same uh, signal back to uh, the UFO or whatever object you're observing. So the, I mean, just think about that. So the idea is if you can capture the light signature of an object, well, first of all, it tells you about the properties of this object. Like, is this emitting light to communicate or to navigate? Or is this a GPS system? You know, Congrats on going to college. Now the fun begins. Setting up your dorm, your apartment, your space. Make it yours. Bed Bath & Beyond makes it easy. Sign up now for our college savings pass. Get 20% off your entire purchase every time you shop through September 30th. 20% off everything. Hey, we've even got a checklist for that. You can order near home and pick it all up near campus. Sign up now at your nearest Bed Bath & Beyond or bedbathandbeyond.com and make college yours. It's another hurricane season, and right about now, residents are busy fortifying their nests against damage. This year, they're preparing with flood insurance. They've learned it's the extra layer of protection that prevents them from paying out of pocket or pouch for costly repairs. You too should trust your instincts this season. Get flood insurance and protect the life you've built. Visit floodsmart.gov. What is that? So, so capturing the light pattern of an object. I mean, I've never heard of anything like this before. I mean, we have SETI. Is it SETI that they, they try to transmit radio frequencies? And it just feels so primitive. And this guy is bringing this technology, you know. 
um, and we're sending this type of transmission, you know, at 800 terabytes, you know, into space. So that is very cutting edge. Not only the entire expedition was a first and totally a breakthrough in ufology, but then having this a technology, I learned so much, these inventions, I learned so much from it, and I can't wait to do more with it. You know what I mean? Because this was the first time that we've ever done anything like this before. So now we learn, okay, next time we're going to do more of this, less of that. You know, how can we tweak this? So it's this is just the beginning to an amazing adventure, I think, yet to come. Is there a part two coming for this? A part two, a part three, and many parts, for sure. I mean, after you watch the film, how could it not be, right? I wanted more. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I wanted more. I was it, it was it was captivating. You know, it was captivating with the technology. It was captivating with with the the people who were involved, who who were you know trying to do their best. I mean, whether whether it was the former experiencers of this at the USS Nimitz incident, or whether it was Michael W. Hall or or Dave Altman who were sitting on Catalina Island on a rooftop trying to find anything. I mean. The triangulation, the, the the shapes of these vehicles that you were capturing, it was absolutely amazing. Yes, I think so. <laughs> and then the data that we ended up with. I mean, I've, you know, I mean, so people will see in the film. We don't want to give it away completely. But even if we talk about it, people still have to see it, right? It's It's one thing to talk about it, but then when you see how the whole thing unfolds you know so you see the orbs and stuff that we've seen a lot uh, although that particular one was hovering for quite some time the one that uh dave altman uh, yeah uh, captured on his camera but then there are objects that appear uh, ro- rotate you know what caroline hold that thought we're gonna go to break here at the bottom of the hour on spaced out radio when we return We're going to learn more about Tic Tacs. Did they catch them on a tear of the sky? From a tear of the sky.com, Caroline Corey continues after this. I have no idea what the heck is with my microphone tonight. (sighs) How long is it? How long is the break? Five minutes. Okay, great. Yeah, five minutes. Okay. Uh, Joe, I'm going to put the website in. It is a tear in the sky.com. There, it's in the chat room. Yeah, yes, please. If we can put, because the, that's where people see like the different platforms, no matter where they're located. Yes. Oh. Fast half hour. Fast half hour. I know. I can't believe it's already half an hour. It is quick. It is quick. <laughs> and little Davy Altman is in there, out there somewhere, listening in, all proud. Oh, really? It was a nice ponytail you had in the movie, Dave. Nice ponytail. <laughs> hey, Dave. Where is he? Oh, I, he was in the chat room earlier. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know where he is now. Okay, so I'll see you in three minutes, four minutes. Okay, yeah, we've got about uh, three, three and a half minutes. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll just, there you go. Take you out. There you go. If you have to step away or whatever. Unless you want to hang out with us. No? Okay. I'll bring you back when you get here. Vinster! What is happening? Big bad Vin man. <clears throat> do 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 almost seems like a tragically hip kind of night Jorge Hernandez what is happening good to have you here Let's see here. Mike Palumbo, we will get to them. Hello, lovely Kathleen Hughes. Nikki Cook, long time. How you been? It's been a while. Oh, there's Caroline right there in the chat room. Hi, Dave. There she is. Omnium Media. That's right, Noodles, at, a, at the 100th Meridian. Thank you for calling that out. Don't do, don't do. Oh, yeah, I could feel that. That's one band I never got to see in concert. Much to my chagrin. And the word chagrin is not used enough anymore. Much like Dave Altman's hairbrush. It's not used much anymore. <laughs> Hello to Bill WD40 and the gorgeous Ronnie on Spreaker in the chat room there. Chico from Phoenix, how you doing? Been a while, buddy. Good to see you here. Ah, oh, Millennium, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Goth White, how you doing, man? I know I need the Oilers logo behind me right now. Totally need it behind me. Is that the one that's causing that? No. It's uh, that one right there. All right. We got 30 seconds. Caroline Corey is our guest tonight. Apparently, I just got called fat by Paranormal Alley in the chat room. But thank you, Cherokee Cloud, Big Dog, and Stephen for the super chats. 
Really do appreciate it. It's a good way to support this show. And <laughs> here we go, everyone. Second half hour of Space Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for to- taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello and welcome. And I want to remind all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old davy the favor hit that subscribe button our website is spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you including rocking out to bumblefoot reading shirky poo's newswire check out our swag as well follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram at spaced out radio show and on tiktok at spaced out radio we continue on tonight a terror in the sky a brand new documentary going after tic tacs around catalina island yeah it's just not a wine spritzer down there anymore it's alien places caroline Corey, the director of the documentary is with us terrorinthesky.com you can find out where you can view it including apple tv and amazon prime caroline welcome back Hey, Dave. Excellent to have you here. Let's get into the technological side of everything. There was a lot going on. How did you decide what equipment to use, and how did you bring it all together? Yeah, so there were already two scientists on the team, three actually, on the team, and uh, and David Mason, who, as I was saying, owned the equipment. So we went, you know, we, we had meetings, pre-production meetings, where we would kind of decide what was going to be necessary, how many people, where we were going to be positioned, and so on and so forth. So uh, we were so lucky that David Mason already had more than we needed, actually. Uh, there are a few pieces that actually I would have liked to have, which is more magnetometers, because I think it has something to do with magnetic anomalies in that area. And so uh, it was more than enough to cover the optical, the acoustic, the RF, the spectrum analyzers, the um, the radiation detectors. We did have a magnetometer uh, as part of the the UFO DAP system. So we pretty much had everything, you know, for the optical range, the regular cameras to the night vision, to the, um, to the uh, FLIR. And for those who don't know too much about the FLIR, um, it's about 10 times more uh, than the regular night vision um, in, the, in the infrared spectrum range. So extremely sensitive, industrial-grade, he had eight of them because we were trying to cover the entire sky. So, I mean, that's kind of how it all came together. But at the end of the day, it was all at most of it was at Dave's uh, location in, in uh, Washington state. And we had to ship everything. But because it was, you know, expensive equipment and also delicate equipment, we had to send a driver, a person, you know, a PA. Uh, with a truck 
to pick it up, uh, you know, pack it properly. Dave had it all ready to go and drive it down to California. And we did the same thing to return it to make sure that nothing was lost, nothing was damaged, and everything was under our control. So it was quite a lot. And you saw the production wasn't small. I mean, this was a big operation. How did you get in touch with UAPX in getting them involved with this? And, and because they had already had the experience of being out there. They knew where the locations were. They already had scientists like Kevin Knuth working with them. I mean, how did you bring that all together to, to make such a successful film? Well, actually, I had worked with scientists before in other areas as well. So my original idea was to just find scientists and put a team together from scratch. But then I was I was looking online. You know, we were we were as a production team. We were trying to figure out who's done it, who who had anything any idea about um, UFOs from a science perspective. Anyway, I stumble on Kevin Day. And uh, I see that he's part of a group. It was the UAPS group. And I see Dave Altman also as part of that group at the time. And I was like, oh, I recognize these names. You know, let's see how, um, like, what, what these guys are up to. So I come in contact with Dave Altman, who puts me in contact with uh, Kevin Day. And when, when I had the conversation with Kevin Day, I mean, that was it. I really loved him from the very beginning. And he said, we, we have this UAPX team. You want scientists. We already have two scientists. We have Dave Mason with all these inventions and equipment. Uh, so we are kind of ready to go. They had never done anything together, though. It was just a group kind of with the idea. But they had never done it before. So it was still kind of a gamble, you know, to, to try it for the first time. But, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like the team is already there. Um, you know, I like the scientists, their approach. I, I love, you know, David Mason and all his equipment. I mean, it was it was already a good group uh, to start with. And so I thought, why should I do it from scratch? Let, let me just team up with them and uh, for this first expedition. And that's how it worked out. Caroline Corey is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio, our new documentary, A Tear in the Sky. You can find it on any major streaming platform right now. Uh, Caroline, when you started looking more into the scientific side of everything, what were the results that you wanted to see or were hoping to see? I was hoping for one super obvious anomaly that would be captured from different angles because we were, you know, achieving, you know, we were positioned in different locations so that we can get triangulation, so we can triangulate and get more data. Um, I also wanted some sort of, again, um, correlations on other devices, you know, something that would say this is definitely anomalous because not only with our naked eyes, uh, it you know, it's behaving strangely, but look, it has a weird temperature. It's cold. It's traveling in space, but it's cold. And from this angle, we see that it's tilting, going against the wind. And from, you know, for, with that device, we're noticing, oh, there's a spike in radiation. So I wanted different aspect, a lot of data of one uh, very compelling event. That's what I wanted. And so, um, you know, I'm into also 
kind of, I understand that everything is connected and I've had contact, um, not just seeing things, but also connecting, you know, uh, through consciousness with beings and stuff. And so, but that wasn't the focus of the film. You know, it was more like nuts and bolts. Let's go get measurable things, everything on paper, black and white. And so it was when I was kind of on my own with that, you know, I was like going in my hotel room thinking, okay, guys, whoever's out there, (laughs) this is a big deal. This is a lot of expense, uh, a a huge amount of energy and effort here. Just show me one thing, just one thing (laughs) that would be anomalous event uh, with this sort of data. And sure enough, we started out with this one a sphere, and then it was another one, another one, and it kept getting more and more and more incredible uh, until the very end of the film, of course, where we capture crazy stuff literally raining down into the water, which never seen before. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, cold things, you know, appearing, disappearing, uh, and then that tear at the end. I mean, that blew my mind. What we ended the tear up in the cloud blew my mind, especially when you look inside and it's filled with Tic Tacs and then you see that one pop up. But I, I will get to that in a little bit because that one was a stunner for me, like a total stone cold stunner there. But I want to ask you about five days. Five days is not a lot of time for the high quality amount of research and data that you wanted to collect. Now I realize everything is on a budget. You got to pay people, you got to pay the camera crews, there's food, there's lodging, there's rental properties that you have to get. I mean, major expenses here, but was five days always the goal or or, or the next time do you plan on going out for longer? Yeah. Originally it was 10 days. And, you know, I was funding this project and, you know, this had never been done before. The team had never worked together before. You know, the equipment was very uh, impressive, but we didn't know how it was going to be all set up. I mean, it was a massive gamble. And I said, you know what, you guys, let's just do five days, (laughs) you know, and if we don't capture anything, we can always extend or I'll just worry about it then. I, I don't know. So anyway, that was definitely a budgetary thing. And I was just praying for something to happen within this time frame. And that's how we went about it, because it was such a, a huge undertaking. And, uh, and of course, when we started capturing things, you know, at the end of the five days, it was like, okay, fine. We could have extended, you know, to get even more, uh, but I think it was good enough. And, uh, and I think we walked away with incredible things. Most important question of the entire five days. Did you get to try on Michael W. Hall's hat? Ah, Well, actually, he was on the Catalina uh, team, and I was in the Laguna Beach team, so I have not. (laughs) I have actually worn that hat. I feel privileged. I have worn that hat. And uh, I'll be honest with you, my head was too big for it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Absolutely terrible. We love the paranormal lawyer around here, Michael W. Hall. You know, let's get right to it. I mean, you had five days. First day was set up. There was a a few blips in the sky, nothing you could really make uh, too sure of. But then day two, day three especially hit. And that's where it started to get real for you. What were you going through personally 
on day three of the adventure when all of a sudden the radiation spikes happen. You started getting these uh, oblong objects first spotted by Dave and Michael on Catalina Island. And then when you draw the trajectory of it, it's almost equal to what was happening on the coast at Laguna Beach. I mean, this is getting exciting here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the first two days, I think, were a total wash because, you know, the setup took forever. Uh, and then some of the software wasn't working properly. So we had the power outage that messed up all the um, the calibration of the equipment, the timestamps of the equipment. It was like, in the beginning, I was a nervous wreck. I was like, oh my God, two days out of the three and like nothing. <laughs> so it was really, and so when the first thing started to happen, uh, I I got so excited because it wasn't just one thing. So Dave Altman called us with this, um, the first sighting on Catalina. And at the same time, on our side, we started to see all these spikes. And so, and it wasn't just one spike. It was three spikes and then three spikes. And then, th- so something was definitely happening. And so, so it got very, very exciting. And then, we want to check out what's happening on the fleers and what's happening on that. So, so it really got super, super exciting. And I was like, oh, finally, this is happening. It's another hurricane season. And right about now, residents are busy fortifying their nests against damage. This year, they're preparing with flood insurance. They've learned it's the extra layer of protection that prevents them from paying out of pocket or pouch for costly repairs. You too should trust your instincts this season. Get flood insurance and protect the life you've built. Visit floodsmart.gov. Congrats on going to college. Now the fun begins. Setting up your dorm, your apartment, your space. Make it yours. Bed Bath & Beyond makes it easy. Sign up now for our college savings pass. Get 20% off your entire purchase every time you shop through September 30th. 20% off everything. Hey, we've even got a checklist for that. You can order near home and pick it all up near campus. Sign up now at your nearest Bed Bath & Beyond or bedbathandbeyond.com and make college yours. Like, you know, so it's kind of surreal because you want something to happen before, but then what it does happen. And also it it takes you by surprise. And don't forget, I'm also filming. So I have to make sure that I've covered, you know, like from a camera perspective, make sure we capture this and make sure we capture him and make sure we capture this angle and that angle. So my brain was like going in all directions at the same time, to be honest, I don't, I think it's a miracle <laughs> that we not only captured these, this data and that amount of data, but we captured it on camera. I mean, we, the crew was, was huge. I mean, we had, uh, all together between all located, we had like 10 cameras going on at the same time. And I'm the, the director of, three crews at the same time. Do you see what I mean? It was, it was quite an undertaking. Uh, so it was chaotic, exciting, uh, surreal, and amazing. For you, one of the terms that you said very early in the show was that you wanted to try and figure out triangulation. You had this conversation with William Shatner to try and triangulate everything that can happen 
in that triangle for for data for investigation for airplanes and and other uh weather anomalies and everything like that why was triangulating these phenomena so important again because you know you see a lot of amazing footage out there but there's no triangulation meaning there's no other angle there's no other data with it other than what the person's telling us or what this angle is telling us so that's why this was so important you know to to get this scientific perspective you you know if we're walking away with the same thing you know just the one angle even you have 10 witnesses sometimes you have 50 witnesses you know it's still you know the measurability is still from one perspective, one angle, and, and one aspect of the whole uh, data. So, so that's the reason why that was very, very important. So let's draw a picture for our radio listeners' minds. You have Dave Altman and, and Mike, Michael W. Hall on Catalina Island as one point. You have the main UAPX team and all of the equipment set up in Laguna Beach, which is point number two. Point number three was was uh, Jeremy McGowan in his Osiris vehicle that is literally built to try and track UFOs. I mean, think tornado vehicle, except with UFO uh, computer technology, uh, try to track UFOs to get him to that third triangulation point. What happened once you set that up? Yeah, so uh, so when uh, Dave Altman called us, he saw he had the first sighting. We then started to see what other equipment, what other devices were going off at the same time uh, in Laguna. And because of that, we had an idea which way the object was traveling and where it was in the sky and, and the shape and things like that. Uh, so, so Jeremy would then take off... Uh, and try to get a third angle, a third perspective of the same object. So this is kind of how we went about it, to to try to capture it from different angles or whatever else was happening at the same time. And when did the results start? Like if I, if I recall in the film, things started pretty early that day in the afternoon, and then they just kind of started happening a little bit more and more, and then until the nighttime. Uh, no, it wasn't like that, actually. Uh, nothing happened literally the first two days. No, I it was on. That. So was it day four then? Am I getting day four and day three mixed up here? No, it was actually day three. It was July 14th. I remember that date because I knew that was going to be the day that we would see something. And we had started on the 12th. So 12th and 13th, nothing happened. Even the 14th. During the day, nothing happened. And it was the 14th at night that was the first discovery, so to speak. I mean, this, the, the, the day before, Dave Altman also captured this thing, but we weren't able to, to get any data on it. So it was just kind of a wash a little bit. So, But day three is when we had the first object appear on multiple cameras. So the cameraman itself, himself also captured it two night visions, and then on the Laguna side also, they had uh, the FLIR also captured an object at the same time, and also radiation was going off. So so that was the first event, which was July, the third day, July 14th in okay. the evening. So and then... Go ahead, please. And then after that, 
the next morning and the next evening. This is where it was like one thing after another, after another, after another. And that was amazing. How did you guys know as the gear kept uh, recording throughout the night, how did you know that it wasn't birds or helicopters or, or any type of ocean phenomena that wasn't stirring up a lot of this evidence from from the clouds to the radiation beams which could be the sun or something along those lines how did you deal with that yeah so first of all these are experts okay like david mason i mean he is a technology expert he looks at camera uh flare cameras all day long i mean i'm sure he does other things but uh, you know he knows the technology and he's been doing it using it for UFOs for many, many years. So he knows exactly what he's looking at. And so so he can rule out very, very quickly, okay, this is a bird, this is this, this is a, uh, an airplane or whatever. And so, so, so we have that, you know, also the, the scientists who are expert, they can tell this is a satellite or a meteor or whatever. So, but uh, also the UFO DAP system, for example, had had its own software where it would rule out anything that's common. For example, the airplanes have a signature. I mean, you can yeah. tell it's an airplane, it's traveling in the same, this, you know, consistent way or whatever. Uh, a bird would have a, some sort of signature. So that system already had a software that, w- that would rule out right away, would take out all of these uh, mundane explanations right off the bat. And so, so whatever, with whatever's left, the scientists or David Mason, especially looking at the FLIR, would then investigate whatever's left, you know, whatever was really zigzagging or appearing, disappearing, registering cold, things like that. Okay, so the fact that you were able to rule out birds, you were you were able to rule out weather phenomena, you were able to rule out airplanes or helicopters, probably due to heat signature, mo- most likely, correct? You know, especially on a FLIR, you're going to see you're going to see uh, a contrail, you're going to see temperature changes and everything like that. I, I hope I'm correct when I'm when I'm stating that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on the FLIR, you can still see the airplane registering, you know, hot the. The birds register hot, although there are some anomalies that do register hot. So, I, so what I'm saying is not that all anomalies only register cold. Right. Sometimes, so so it's both. Is is the ability of the expert to look at it and recognize, you know, the pattern. You know, if it's going against the wind, if it's going sideways, especially if it's zigzagging or changing right. direction, some crazy thing like that. I mean, that's that's already uh, the speed or whatever. Um, that's already uh, an anomaly and and the temperature. Right. So so it's like so there are several things that are going on at the same time. So for people who don't understand how FLIR works with temperature, why was it important to gauge the temperature of what was going on in these anomalous objects that were caught? Yeah, again, because if an object is traveling uh, in the sky, you know, the propulsion system that we know of should generate some sort of friction, therefore some sort of heat. So if you have an object that's traveling that's totally cold, then it's some sort of technology that we don't understand, especially when this object appears and rotates and then disappears. 
and then it's cold. What is that? So, so that's why having the temperature as an additional piece of data is extremely important when studying the phenomenon. Very true. Very true. We have 90 seconds to go before we have to go to break at the top of the hour. Caroline Corey will be, will be with us for another hour here on Spaced Out Radio, breaking down a tear in the sky. Before I ask you any more serious questions and we bring in audience questions in hour number two for you, Caroline, I mean, what did you learn not only about yourself, but about the phenomena by doing this film? We got one minute. I mean, well, first of all, it was more of a confirmation that this is much bigger than we think. And it's not just one thing. You know, I think some of it is human technology, but there are other phenomena, you know, some of it may be atmospheric for all we know, uh, that are still considered anomalous or UFO related. Um, so that's, I mean, to me, it's not that I learned I f- that piece. It's more of a confirmation of, wow, it's even more than we think, especially with that last thing that we, we discovered or whatever that is, they're still trying to investigate it. So, but that's definitely compelling and intriguing and it's just adding more, uh, mis- you know, mystery to the phenomenon. Very true. I cannot wait to ask Caroline Corey about the Tic Tacs and the wormhole in the cloud. Was it really a wormhole? Were they capturing 35 to 50 foot Tic Tacs? Were they appearing out of nowhere? Were they shooting into the water and then up into the sky? We'll find out if they got that evidence. Aterrinthesky.com is the website. Caroline Corey, the director of the film. I highly suggest you check it on out. Spaced Out Radio's hour number two is next. All right, we have six minutes. Six minutes. I'm going to step away for a moment. Same here. I'm going to make some tea. Be right back. Okay.
I am back. We've got a couple minutes left. Hi, John Poe. And let's see who else is here. Lovely Lara, nice to see you. Elena Campbell, welcome to the show and welcome to SOR Chat. Mark Sanchez, good to see you, buddy. Phenomena, do 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 do. Phenomena, do 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 do. Phenomena, do 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 do. I'm not getting an echo on this side. Brown dwarf, how you doing? Terry Brown, gorgeous Jean Beckett, how you doing? And what would it be without a night of the bots coming on in? Thank you, gorgeous Jenny. They are reported. And... There we go. We have just under one minute to go. Thank you to Steven, Cherokee Cloud, and Big Dog for the amazing super chats. We really do appreciate the love and support that you guys all have for Spaced Out Radio. Thank you very much. Hello there, Robert Lamoth. How you doing? Thank you, Donnie Cho. 30 seconds. Thank you to all the veterans who are tuning on in. Hi, gorgeous Angel Wings. Welcome back. And if you guys want to do any shopping and pick up your SOR swag, you can do so at spacedoutradio.com. we got some great, great swag there for you. T-shirts, speakers, underwear, hoodies, everything you want to wear. Here we go. Hour number two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Talk Stream Live, Odyssey Radio, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ignivomus. Yeah, there it is. Ignivomus is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire, and check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with Caroline Corey. A Tear in the Sky.com. It's her brand new documentary filming what could be Tic Tacs. 
in California around Catalina Island. Aterrinthesky.com, once again, is the website. It'll direct you where you can view this awesome, awesome docufilm. Caroline, welcome back. Hey, Dave. We're going to start off with a question from Dennis here, and he is asking, are these objects displaying infrared light? I've seen that some UAPs, such as in the Bradshaw Ranch, are only visible in IR. Yes, so the ones that we captured on the uh, infrared camera weren't visible to the naked eye. And some of them literally, like, appeared and then disappeared. So it was, you know, too quick. Uh, so, uh, especially also the ones that you refer to, the ones that were falling down, uh, raining down, literally, all of these were captured with the FLIR camera, meaning the, you know, the, the higher spectrum, infrared spectrum. So they are not visible to the naked eye, which tells you how much must be going on, you know, around us. And we have no clue of uh, what's really happening. Very true. Very, very true. I'm curious regarding that. Okay, so let's explain that where you guys actually caught on FLIR camera what looked to be these objects dropping into the ocean in excess of 5,000 miles per hour. Explain what happened. At least. So these uh, were discovered by David Mason as we're going through the footage. Um, we, he, he notices these things literally dropping down very quickly, objects. And of course, the first thing we think, oh, it's a camera glitch, you know, because of course we want to rule out, uh, you know, could it be this, could it be that? But it's not a camera glitch because first of all, they were leaving a trail and uh, there was there was uh, decay, you know. There was you could tell there was decay, and also uh, they were in front of the camera. Uh, it, it wasn't on the camera. There's a way for him to find out where where they're located, basically. And so there was a. Congrats on going to college. Now the fun begins. Setting up your dorm, your apartment, your space. Make it yours. Bed Bath & Beyond makes it easy. Sign up now for our college savings pass. Get 20% off your entire purchase every time you shop through September 30th. 20% off everything. Hey, we've even got a checklist for that. You can order near home and pick it all up near campus. Sign up now at your nearest Bed Bath & Beyond or bedbathandbeyond.com and make college yours. At JCPenney's Memorial Day Sale, sizzling deals are on with storewide doorbusters all weekend. Or bring home savings up to 50% during our Memorial Day home sale. Save even more with your coupon. And for all former and active military personnel, enjoy an extra 10% off in-store. Just show a valid military or VA ID at checkout. Shopping is back. JCPenney. Coupon valid on select styles through 530. Some exclusions apply. Doorbusters valid 526 through 530 and excluded from coupons. See store or jcp.com for details. Another, uh, basically, uh, evidence or point, um, um, uh, something that, that would, that told him that it is not a glitch in the, in the, uh, in the camera. Also, some of them didn't go directly straight down. They went kind of sideways and like they kind of changed trajectory. You know what I mean? So there was too much evidence that it wasn't a camera glitch. So having ruled that out, he started to kind of see how fast they were going and what size they were. 
and basically um, the some of them were about you know what I have to remember <laughs> it's in the movie people have to watch it but they were literally dropping down at 5,000 to 20,000 miles an hour something like that and the ones that are further down at like 80,000 miles an hour which is crazy but that's what Dick Kevin Day was saying they were dropping down at 80,000 miles an hour in, in an instant, in a split second. So that's why these were totally amazing. And I've never seen footage like this before. Right. But the confirmation you were able to get from the Nimitz team on the USS Princeton and the statistics you were getting, what was it like to be able to get that confirmation of the same speed, the same actions? Yeah, exactly. And when Gary saw it, I remember his his reaction was like, wow, this looks exactly like how they were dropping, how they were noticing them dropping as well. So it, it's incredible. I was like, wait, is this real? Did we did we just recapture what happened to them in 2004? That's like amazing. The coincidence, is this a coincidence? I mean, that's an incredible coincidence. So just the whole thing was just so, such a crazy adventure. You know, you're on this rush, you know, trying to find something and then you do, and then you're not sure, but then you get validation. So it, it was quite, quite an amazing experience. Very true. Very true. I, I want to ask in regards to another piece of evidence. It came out near the end, and this was a potential wormhole that was caught. Now, after so what a lot of people don't understand is after the five days of filming, the scientists went in for, what, six, eight weeks to really break down all of the evidence regarding what was caught. And one of the phenomena that was caught looked like a, a hole opening up in a cloud, a cloud that was maybe, what, just over 1,700 feet. Nothing at the 20, 30,000 range, 1,700 no. feet. And inside that cloud looks to be about 50 to 60 Tic Tacs in there. Tell me about what this incident. How did you guys get that on, on record? Yeah, so so they were going through all the data, and then this particular clip, uh, they were going frame by frame because it caught their eye, and uh, and they realized, wait a minute, there's something that happens there, an opening and closing of what looks like a cloud, and so so that was, of course, the first thing, oh, it's a camera anomaly or this or that, but then there was too many correlations. Actually, what started the investigation was irradiation. Matthew Shadagis, the uh, the um, scientist on the team, he had the, the cosmic watch, which uh, captures the radiation. And so that morning, he had a huge spike. I mean, it was like 42 MeV, which happens, I think, one, what did he tell me? I think one in 100,000 or in 10,000, I'm not sure. But I mean, it's very, very rare. And it's a very high, 42 MeV um, is a very, very high spike in radiation. So the idea is to have correlations. If we had this radiation at this time, what else happened? So we're looking through all the footage, you know, the FLIR and this and that and this camera and that camera. And we see this one incident. And this is where uh, they start to break down that file frame by frame. 
and they see this opening and closing. Uh, so, so what is it, right? So they look very carefully and they realize that what's inside of it are actual reflective objects. And we know that from radar. So the radar picks up on reflective objects. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't pick up on radiation, doesn't pick up on light. So right. that's when that's when they start saying, wait a minute, what is that opening and closing and st- objects come out of it? What is that? So let's call it a wormhole. You know, of course, we're, you know, it's it's kind of early in the in the process of a real scientific study of a wormhole, but uh so so that's kind of where this whole how this whole thing happened. What amazed me about that one little scene was that inside the cloud when you zoomed in and you slowed the camera right down to where it was just a couple frames per second you could actually see i'm going to call it a tic tac i know it's still unknown but what looks to be a tic tac all of a sudden blipping right into the frame like hey guys i'm joining this party too yes they, they it comes out of the the cloud after it closes and actually, there are a few other ones that do that, but the one is super clear. They're like, I'm popping out of this cloud, <laughs> out of this hole, whatever that is. And yeah, I mean, I think they're still investigating the actual shape. They look like Tic Tacs, but certainly the size is the same as the Tic Tac, which did, is about 30. How did yeah. they measure the size accurately? Well, because they can do trigonometry, so they know where we when where we were, how the camera was angled, you know, you know the frame, uh, the field of view, and so they can tell the where where the the actual object is, the actual cloud opening is. It's all in the movie, um, and from there they can see how many pixels out of that cloud it's taking and, and do the calculations and they can tell exactly the size. Yeah. Now, if I, if I'm correct, that angle was at about 17, 18 degrees to where yes. the cloud was above the water. And I yes. guess they figured the cloud was about how far from the location. I think about, um, Five kilometers, I want to say. I'm not really sure. I don't remember. But it's all in the movie. Like, all the calculations and everything is is in the movie. Yeah. And so so another thing is they thought, well, maybe it's a false streak cloud, meaning, you know, those clouds where crystals form and they drop and they create a hole. And so, but that's that doesn't make sense because usually... This happens when it's very cold and we were in the middle of July and the, and the cloud is very low. I mean, 1,500 feet is not very high. And so that's not possible. As somebody and then, who has experienced uh, snow in blue sky from the, it being so cold up in the atmosphere, I can, I can understand exactly where you are in my limited amount of science that I actually have. But until you've seen it snow in blue sky, you wouldn't understand. You would understand, yeah. but but to create those big giant holes, those clouds have to be at like twenty five, thirty thousand feet with atmospheric temperature well below freezing level. Exactly, exactly. So there, so nothing checks out. It's not that sort of cloud. It's not you know like some airplane that goes through a cloud. It's, that's not it. Uh, it's nothing that has to do with uh, 
we thought, well, maybe it's a, it's a solar flare, some sort of weird anomaly like that. That's not it. And then when the radar picked up uh, reflection, reflective objects, that was like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> right. Now, did any of these elusive objects get close to your territory that you were triangulating? I mean, close enough. I mean, they weren't like close right above our heads or, or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, some of them were five kilometers. That's not very far. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. I don't know the folks in Catalina, if that object at one point, they caught a couple. Um, I don't know if these were quite close to them. I'm not sure. I've had other experiences where a UFO was very close. But that, but not during this filming. That was a whole different story. Well, we'll get that another time when we have you on. Because tonight, it's about Altair in the Sky, a great documentary out right now on all the streaming sources. You can find it at at a tear, uh, pardon me, a tear in the sky dot com. Caroline Corey, the director of the documentary, is here with us tonight. Caroline, with all the data that you collected and everything that you 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 found, was there a piece of evidence out of everything that convinced you that I think we found the Tic Tacs? The Tic Tacs. Well, I think the combination, the one that goes sideways this way, uh, that look, that traveled exactly like the Tic Tac, same shape, same everything, and the ones raining down, I think the fact that we got both of those in the same location is pretty mind-blowing. And I feel that that is what's really happened. These were the Tic Tacs. I mean, that's my conviction i'm not saying it's proven scientifically i'm just saying what are the odds that it's the exact same size the same way they travel the same shape all in the same area it doesn't make sense yes let's, let's be honest it, it doesn't make sense what are you guys doing with all of the evidence that you found I mean, right now, the film itself, whether this ends up being a wormhole or not a wormhole, the fact it's still an anomaly, it is still something that cannot be explained. Just as much as those things falling down in the, in the water, uh, the same with the other anomalies, the stuff that appears, disappears, registers gold, all of these are extremely important um, data in for UFOs that that are proof uh, that uh, this is done properly from a scientific perspective. So the first goal is for this film to be the, as much as visible as possible, because look what just happened. I mean, like Congress just came out, you know, they were talking in the congressional hearing last week, like, hey, we have 400 cases, but... We're not sure. And this is the kind of videos we get. And like you look and you don't even know what you're looking at. And we civilians in five days uh, with our instrumentation, which is, was pretty sophisticated, a lot of it, but other stuff was just normal. Uh, but just us in five days, we're able to collect so much data, real data. And there's more beyond the film that I've, I'm hoping by spreading this message 
and showing this film to the general public that from a government point of view, they just cannot keep saying we don't have data. You know, I mean, they have the radars and the satellites pointing at the sky all day long. And we go, you know, and we, we go in five days and we capture all this data. So that's what I'm hoping. That's the first step to make this film, and the, because of the data, as visible, as widespread as possible to, in, to contribute to the disclosure. I mean, to, to, uh, to, to encourage more and more people to come out with similar data and also for a real, real data disclosure. That's what I'm hoping. Your film couldn't have come out at a better time especially lucking out with the congressional hearings that happened a week ago. I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, what kind of questions are you taking with a tear in the sky and now people's interest in, in your film because of the congressional hearings, they were paying attention to the mainstream media. And I mean, you lucked out here. I know. Speaking of timing, I'm telling you this film from beginning to end, it was divine timing. I mean, it, it, you know, when I started it, when I had the idea just before Christmas, you know, for, I wasn't thinking of UFO. All of a sudden, okay, I'm going to make a UFO film. And by March, we pretty much had the team together, the plan together, uh, the financing pretty much together. And by July, we were filming. You know, by September, we were in post-production. I mean, this is like record speed for film. I mean, especially that quality, you know, production. It, it was very, very involved, very complicated to edit, very complicated. Uh, and so to put it all together and turn it around and have it out now, it's like, speaking of odds, what are the odds? It, it was just like all falling into place perfectly. No, that that's absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. I mean, you must have been jumping for joy. I mean, your film comes out a couple of weeks previous to that. And then all of a sudden we're hearing about congressional hearings coming on out. And you're like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like that, that, this was just been like a good luck charm for you. Yeah. And just before that, they came out with this report, this 1500 page report saying, you know, about the contact with uh, alien crafts or something, the effect it has on your body and the abductions and the nightmares and the abort. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, this is insane. So that's why, you know, for those who did watch the congressional hearing, you know, and then they're going to watch this film. Everybody should watch this film. I mean, because of the type of footage that's in that's that's in it that's that's very unique um and and the way we went about it and the people associated with it so uh you know when you go wait a minute the c congress cannot be telling us we don't have data or we we don't have a system in place or, or whatever uh when when there's this film that <laughs> literally shows exactly and i'm not the only one there's tons of credible data but this film, the difference is that this film shows that it was done with proper instrumentation, with scientists, with you. That's the difference. That's what this film does and should really empower all these ufologists out there and all these researchers out there that we did it to show that we're on the right track and to really, really trigger more disclosure. 
how does a film like yours help the disclosure movement? Yeah. I mean, that's what I just said. Like, well, I, like, I, I understand you just said it, but I mean, for disclosure has so many different meanings to so many yes. different people. So how do you round it off saying this is going to help disclosure? So, so, so again, from a, you know, government perspective, cause we're waiting for them. We're waiting for them, you know? So that's exactly what I did. I didn't want to wait for them. I went and I collected the data myself. That's what we did in the film. And so, so I feel more government officials, which I know they are right now, um, are going to see this film, you know, and I think they were asking some of some congressmen were asking some pretty tough questions. I think we may trigger even more of these questions and more um, hearings for sure. There's, there has to be more hearings, but also more reports. Um, so I, I think on a government level, this film will trigger that sort of response. And from a grassroots um, point of view as well, I think there's more collaboration. I'm hoping there'll be a lot more collaboration, which will then accelerate the disclosure. Instead of, you know, up until now, sometimes I feel there's groups, you know, these groups working, you know, not against, it's a bit of a competition or something like that. I feel like hopefully this will bring more of the community together. If you have a piece of information, if you're a scientist, let's collaborate together. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping this film will do to accelerate the disclosure, even from a grassroots point of view. I love your excitement about this. I do. <laughs> and, you know, hearing your passion and and your amazement of everything that you found during this, you know, you seem very satisfied, very satiated with how this turned out. And we got you for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. We are going to learn more about A Tear in the Sky with Caroline Corey, the film's director. And she put this together, this documentary. It's amazing. I've watched it. I, you know, I don't like a lot of documentaries on UFOs because usually it's the same people with the same message, just a different title. Not on this one. They went for it. They may have got it. A terrorist when we return on Spaced Out Radio with Caroline Corey. All right, we got five minutes, Caroline. Five minutes. Okay, great. Maybe we can take some questions. Yes. We will encourage questions from the audience. All right. Let's go.
How are we all doing tonight? We having a good time? I got it, little Davy Altman. I got her. Got it all figured out there. I will, little Davy Altman. I will. I got it. No, Cat Chaser, Dave is not zoning. Dave is preparing for the news. You know, we always got to have a good piece of Shirky Poo's news ready to go. Little Davy Altman. Looking good. Looking good. He's found his Zen and Chi place on Catalina Island. Hi, the unknown. How you doing? Hey, we haven't tried the second camera angle tonight yet. Hold on. Boom. There it is. Camera angle number two. I'm wearing my new uh, Peak Woo t-shirt. That I got at the Space Down Radio store. Y'all would look good in peak woo. Just saying. Now I know I don't have dirty filth type chest hair. Hi gorgeous pins or flactum. How are you? Fab 22. Good to see you. Thurston Howell the third. Appreciate that. No, I wasn't cutting my hair last night. I was uh, talking about that I'm going to get my hair cut. I think it's time. Too many Santa Claus comments. Big thank you to Cherokee Cloud, Big Dog, and Steven. For the amazing super chats, very much appreciate the love and support. And if you want to go shopping, just like I do, go to spacedoutradio.com, click on shop, do a little shop in there. We got some great swag for you. I'm sure you'll really enjoy it and find something that you like. And here we go. past the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you all with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. <coughs> Excuse me, where did that come from? Check out our swag as well. 
Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight for the final time. Caroline Corey is here from A Tear in the Sky, a brand new documentary on the Tic Tacs of Catalina Island. And their website, A Tear in the Sky. Dot com. I want you guys to all go check it on out. Caroline, welcome back. Hey, Dave. I got to ask you, right off the bat, the name of the movie, you actually picked it out before you had the tear in the sky. Yeah, so I actually called the movie A Tear in the Sky two years ago when I had uh, the idea of making this film, uh, I wanted, I called it a tear in the sky uh, because I believe that there are tears in the sky. <laughs> I believe there are places, uh, spaces in our time-space continuum, in the fabric of our space-time that are like nodes, you know, where the magnetic field uh, is very charged, you know, where it kind of bends and warps. Um, you know, where light can bend as well. And uh, I feel that uh, anything that we observe as an anomaly, such as a UFO appearing, disappearing, things like that, happen at those locations, uh, in the, at these nodes. And so, so I want, I mean, I wasn't going to call it a node in the sky. It sounds kind of weird. So I called it a tear in the sky, two years ago, and then at the end of the movie, we end up finding exactly something like that. So I was just kind of, wow. <laughs> Very coincidental. But when good things are happening, that's how it turns out. You know, it's meant to be yeah. when things like that are happening. All right, let's get to a question from Elena here. What is the most approachable, affordable, accessible way to research the phenomena and gather data as citizen researchers. You know, it's funny. We get a lot of these emails recently. I think we're really uh, actually encouraging people to look into the phenomenon, even though they are not researchers and they haven't done it before. So it's interesting that uh, people are asking this question. I think it depends on your budget, I want to say. And so... Uh, think about that first, and then maybe you want to invest in, uh, you know, at least in night vision, because at night, usually it's where, um, you know, the, you usually you can see the most type of activity. Although I've seen a lot of things during the day as well, or at least a, a full spectrum camera. Just start with that at least. And, um, you know, if you can do go with friends uh, and do any sort of, even a, a minimal amount of triangulation is possible. You don't have to be miles away to achieve triangulation, you know, I mean, uh, like we were across, the, you know, the the Catalina uh, Island, you know. So so even like that, you can, you can start to capture a lot of uh, interesting data and start to research the phenomenon. And if you're new at it, you know, of course, there's so many hot spots. Those tears that I've been talking about, there's areas where you most likely will find some anomaly. Great answer. Great answer. All right, let's move on to another question here. This one comes from Applesauce. Did you ever see any regular planes on camera? 
Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't understand the question. Well, in your research, you know, when when you were going through the the filming of everything, were you catching, uh, you know, flights in and out of LAX or other airports, helicopters? Of yeah, of course, all the time. We can see them very clearly. Their trajectory is very, very easy to to see. Uh, what is the the the? Is there another reason for this question? Well, I think just to you know compare to see if you guys could easily tell in between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So some of the technology, the some of the software rules out. We know right away it's a it's an airplane, or just by looking at it, you can tell. An airplane is going to have a very steady trajectory, whether it's going up or down or whatever. So it's it's quite easy to spot an airplane. Julie is wondering, has the data been peer-reviewed yet? Jeremy said it was going to be on Twitter, I believe. No. So what's happening right now is the scientists are still going through the data, the additional data. Um, Of course, they are continuing to study that wormhole event because it would be massive. It's already pretty much, uh, I mean, we've looked at it from different angles and researched it and included all that in the film, but there's more. We're still investigating that and all the additional hundreds of hours of data, the scientists are still going through it. And they're going to write a science paper for peer review probably at the end of the year. So that's the projected time frame. So we'll just have to wait for that. But they're doing also other presentation. They're talking about like a, uh, at uh, different conferences, uh, they may be presenting some more data. But it's an ongoing process. I mean, it's a lot of data that we collected beyond the movie. Very cool. Caroline Corey is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Let's go to George's question for you. Caroline, did you or anyone on the production set have any personal consciousness contact during the filming besides the sightings? Yeah, I love this question. So, um, you know, again, uh, this film was very geared. uh, I mean, we wanted it to be very scientific, but kind of a hardcore science. So the scientists on the team did not want to go into the consciousness subject or like any sort of contact or anything like that. So they were totally not not even talking about it or wanting to have any reference to it. And so, which is fine because this film was meant to be very scientific because that piece has never been done. We saw a lot of CE5 and you know things like that. Uh, films before so but nothing like this film so so I was doing my personal consciousness contact on my own (laughs) you know because I believe in it I've had it before spontaneously and so I was doing this communication and contact before during after but on my own any luck Yes, in fact, I think that's how a lot of things happen. I mean, that's my theory. You know, before before the filming, the closer we got, uh, the more I was like, "Oh my God, what if nothing happens?" You know. So I was I was kind of you know talking to my guys <laughs> and saying, "Give me something, something, just one thing, one hugely compelling thing." And so I knew it was going to be July fourteenth. They said July fourteenth. So 
sure enough, you know, we set up July, the week of July 12th to the 16th. And the first sighting was on July 14th. And so I was like, okay, Perfect. <laughs> something happened here. Yeah. And then, you know, more and more, uh, it started happening more and more. And I think it's because of that connection. Cat Chaser is asking, Carolyn, how was it dealing with William Shatner to you? He is very intelligent. Yes, that was so fun, actually. He's really down to earth. He's very funny. Uh, he's not so much into science. He's not a scientist, but he loves the mysteries of life. And so he would always approach the subject from this kind of curious, childlike you know, perspective and very insightful. He, he is into consciousness. He is into how the world has all these mysteries. So it was a lot of fun for me talking to him and he was very, very friendly and easygoing and yeah, and sharp. He's 90 years old. So that was very, very interesting. And we still like claiming him as a proud Canadian. So, you know, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll take that. Brown Dwarf is wondering, did you investigate any other phenomena on the island or was it all about the focus of the Tic Tacs? Oh, it was only a UFO film. We did not go into any other topics at all. Out of everything that you have seen that maybe has not made it to camera and in the documentary, is there a piece of evidence there that you were just like, whoa, I can't believe we caught that? Well, actually, I think we caught, we showed in the film the most compelling ones to date. I don't know. Like I said, we walked away with hundreds of hours of data. So I don't know what they're going to find down the road, maybe more. But during that time frame, I, th I think we in, uh, included some of the most compelling ones. And think about it. It was a good range, you know, from orbs to things falling down, things appearing, disappearing to the, I mean, that's, that's, that's an impressive collection. Wouldn't you say? I would say so, but you know, there's no hidden gems. You didn't keep anything out. No government agency came up to you and said, Hey, we don't want that in there. Well, I think if, if there's something they don't want, I think it would probably be, you know, some of the things we caught on the FLIR or that, that wormhole situation. You know, even if it's not a wormhole, wormhole, it is something that is not known. Do you see what I mean? Right. It is a phenomenon that is not explainable. I mean, it's it's not a weather anomaly because the weather radar is picking up on objects. How could this be? You know, so so we're going to keep doing more research. But I mean, we've done enough to show that it, at least it's an anomalous event. Very, very so, true. Uh, yeah. Okay. So since the film has come out, and because you guys got some really impressive science and data on this, has anybody from the government or military approached you to say, hey, can we take a better look at those statistics? That's funny. Somebody just asked me this question on a previous <laughs> interview. Uh, yes. So, yeah, there's a couple of people, but it, nothing official. Nobody came and said, hey, you have to give us this data or anything like that. But 
you know, I'm, I'm being sent like some emails and some stuff, people asking me questions, uh, but nothing more so far. <laughs> right. Right. So with everything that you learned with the crew and everything, let's go back to where we were in our number one, where we were talking about the emotions of it all. As you start to wrap things up and you start to to look at the data and say, hey, guys, we caught some stuff here. That was a hard five days. You guys pressed for 15, 16, 17 hours a day, if not more. What was the emotional reaction from the crew when they started seeing what looked to be Tic Tacs caught as evidence? I mean, you know, at the end of the production, we were literally delirious. I remember I was shooting that scene. I mean, we were filming, especially the crew and myself, because we had three crews going on at the same time. I'm directing everybody remotely, you know, and of course, um, in person and being on camera and planning the next day and making sure we're not missing data. I mean, it was so crazy. Barely no sleep at all. We went, these were the five days, but we filmed other things before and after. So it was, I think it was 12 days. I don't remember. Nonstop. That's a lot of filming. My crew and I were, were delirious at the end. And so I remember this last scene. It was the last day. David Mason and I were, oh, we were filming the, the, uh, his invention, you right. know, looking up. And it was like three o'clock in the morning or so. I don't remember or something crazy like that. Cause we were filming at night and we couldn't keep a, f- a straight face. We were, you know how it is when you're so tired, yes, you're, you get delirious. you're like, you're laughing and laughing. And, and then the, the camera guy is laughing and laughing and we're all laughing. And the more you hear people laughing, the more you laugh and we couldn't get the shot. <laughs> we're like, we got to get this shot, you know? So it was, it was kind of like that. We were so exhausted, but at the same time, high, you know, just from everything we had gone through. So it was it was a super, super fun and incredible experience, speaking of emotions. Speaking, uh, there was a piece of humor in there that I wish you would have expanded on. And that, <laughs> and that was the police got called by the neighbors at the at the base that you guys set up, uh, I guess you rented a house in in. Uh, I, I apologize, I forget the location now. All of a sudden, Laguna in Laguna Beach. That's right. And one of the neighbors thought you were filming through their walls, and they were quite. <laughs> what happened there? Because the police were called. I wish you would have put this on film. Well, actually, it's so funny. They came two or three times. But uh, we, our crew, because we, our crew was on because they can't work more than 12 hours or whatever. So we were rotating the schedule. And every time they came, we didn't have the cameras on. But, um, but anyway, I don't know if they would have let us film them anyway. But they would come and try to shut us down and tell us we need this permit and that. And, of course, we already we had everything in place. But it was like, I think they just wanted to check it out. They were like, what are these people doing? <laughs> I mean, you saw the equipment. Just imagine that your neighbor has all of this equipment on their roof. What are they doing? You know, it just looks so bizarre. We did have a very annoying neighbor and he just 
he just wanted to mess with us. I mean, I could just tell, even though we weren't making any noise, because there's no, we're just there observing, you know, there wasn't a lot of light because we wanted this dark, you know, nighttime scenes. So yeah, he kept kind of trying to mess with us. It was so funny. Uh, and But every time the cop would come and he, were, he would be like, so what are you guys up to? What's going on here? You know, and who's in charge of blah, blah, blah. And, and then when we would tell them, that, hey, this equipment does this and we're looking at UFOs and stuff, they'd get into it and they'll be like, okay, that's kind of cool, <laughs> you know? All right, we'll come back and check on you tomorrow or something like that. I mean, it was kind of comical how this whole thing happened. I would have loved to have seen that on tape. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I just found it funny because I was wondering, believe it or not, before it got announced on the film, I was wondering, I, I swear... You know, the stuffies, the stuffy people in their multi-million dollar homes around there, you know, thinking that it's probably some adult film set or something along those <laughs> lines, right? And and here they are filming a bunch of UFOs with all this gear. I was waiting for the police to show up. I was, but uh, I, I just thought it was entertaining. What kind of FLIR cameras were you using to ask a question here from Brown to Wharf? Uh, apparently, FLIR has a special ocean model. Did you use those? You know, I'm not really sure about the ocean model. And I know I don't know all the different kinds. I know this is this is a question for David Mason. I don't know if he's in the crowd or not. But uh, it's it's an industrial grade. I mean, literally, each camera is about $50,000. So, you know, I don't know if you can research that caliber FLIR camera. But it's definitely industrial grade it's it's not the commercial you know the stuff you buy off the the shelf for sure okay i do have to ask you as we got you for about another five minutes here and caroline Corey with a tear in the sky you have been absolutely fantastic tonight and i hope you've had a lot of fun with us as we have with you but you did mention that this is something that is going to continue are you currently planning another trek into the Catalina Islands to go look for the Tic Tacs again. Yes, I mean, not just the Catalina Island, but that's for sure. And also, you know, in science, you you can't do one thing once. I mean, the idea is to repeat it um, under similar conditions, at least. So, you know, I, I'm planning for sure a follow-up, especially I think we were more than successful in collecting credible data in the way we did. So it would be crazy not to build on that, especially this has never been done before. We had never done it before. The, that team had never done it before. So we learned so much. Like there are a lot of things that broke down and then they worked and other equipment that we know, you know, we don't need other things we do need more of, you know, so, so even refining some of the technology, I want to use more of David Mason's inventions in different ways. You know what I mean? So, so this was because it was a first, um, and we were so successful being a first that we have to continue. So I have, uh, several ideas on, uh, how to move forward. In fact, I'm almost in pre-production already on the next ones. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Do you bring in a new team? Do you bring in new scientists to try and collect data or match the data? How do you do it differently than the first one? 
Yeah, so I want to keep working with uh, David Mason and his inventions because he, because that's so mind blowing. Like I I don't know anybody else who's more talented in that field, but because I want to explore. Uh, the phenomenon in different ways as well. I think I, I'm going to um, invite different scientists next time. Um, not that I didn't enjoy working with those scientists, but I think just we need different perspective and different um, expertise and different angles. So I think I will put a new team together next time for uh, different uh, projects. Would you consider the idea of bringing in, I, and I know you're all about the science here, but would you consider turning up the woo a little bit and bringing in maybe some sort of CE5 type people to see if they could maybe haul those UAP in closer for the filming? Yeah, again, I've been asked this question. I am into that piece as well. Like I said, I started out more interested in consciousness before UFOs. And so I have uh, I have some ideas. Uh, I do my own version of CE5, not necessarily, you know, the CE5, but, you know, everybody has their own way. But um, But so I have some ideas how to incorporate or add on uh, that chapter as well, but also from a new perspective, in a new way. You will see. You will see. I'm going to do this, but in a different way. Uh, again, like no one's done before. You just see. It's going to be amazing. When do you think you might start filming? Oh, filming, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm barely starting pre-production. There's a, it's a, it's a long process. Although you never know. Look at the other one. Like in three months, literally, I was ready to, to, to film this, uh, this project. So you never know. Uh, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. We definitely want to know about that. With one minute left, Caroline, I want to say a big thank you to you, your incredible team, you know, uh, Gary Voorhees' beard and, and many other, uh, you know, and many other accolades that you deserve for this film and getting to watch it, uh, I think it was an absolute privilege. It, it really was. And I, I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I was able to to get a feel for it and, and to really, you know, bring you on and, and talk about it. For our audience here and those listening out in Radioland, where can they find A Tear in the Sky? Yeah, the best way is just to go to the website, atearinthesky.com, and they'll see all the platforms there and all the information, the follow-up information as well, atearinthesky.com. And, you know, because this is what this film, what we're trying to do with this film, we can we appreciate any sort of help, you know, to spread the word, you know, tell your friends, write reviews, anything we can do together to uh, expand the, the awareness uh, is greatly appreciated. So com. Perfect. Caroline Corey from com. Tell you, I can sure get excited thinking about what part two is going to be like. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller is going to tell us another spooky story. Then the fedora wearing John Hudson comes in for the unbiased UFO report. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. Thank you, Caroline. Very much appreciate that. You were wonderful. You were wonderful. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you. You are awesome too. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Will. Take care. Bye. Good night. Bye. Caroline Corey, everybody. Yes, there will be a sequel. <coughs> Sorry about the coughing fit there. Holy cow. I'll be right back.
I am back. I am back. Hey, it's the scowling Greg O'Brien. Knight Rider, how you doing? Be more Dan, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. He was in Vegas, hanging out with us. He'll be back next year. Thank you, Fat, for keeping updates on my hair. Appreciate that. <clears throat> I may try and get a cut tomorrow. I think it's time. That maple leaf is two and zero, Greg O'Brien. Two and zero. Noodles, we love you around here. Uh, thank you to Stephen, Big Dog, and Cherokee Cloud for the amazing super chats. Very much appreciated. Thank you to everybody who's done some shopping at our SOR store. And all the veterans out there tuning on in, we love you. You always have a safe home here in our chat room. Here we go with hour number three. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Space Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning us on in. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ignimivus. Ignimivus is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another journey into the spookiness of Swamp Dweller. 
Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. Let me start by saying that this is a true story that happened to me when I was 13 years old, and I am 27 now. Whether you believe it or not is up to you. My dad used to be part of a small hunting club in Alabama, just a handful of guys he grew up with. Once a year, we would drive to a small town of Elba to camp for a few days and go hunting. The club owned a few different areas of land around the city, and club members could go tracking there. One of these pieces of land was nicknamed the cemetery because it had an old cemetery on it. There was nothing really creepy about the cemetery. It was just old. It was in the woods and the graves were of an enslaver and his slaves. Now, in this area of land nicknamed the cemetery, there are five or six green fields, a cleared out piece with no trees, grass, and a buck hut to hunt in. A buck hut is a treehouse you sit in and wait for deer to walk out onto a green field. This evening, we were going to hunt on Greenfield 1. The plot is directly behind the old cemetery. The evening started normal enough, and my dad parked the truck and we walked down the trail to the buck hut. We climbed up and started to wait and watch the woods. A bit of time passed, and my dad told me that he would go for a short walk to see if maybe there's any deer on the trail. Keep in mind I'm about 13 years old. This isn't too much of a big deal, I've hunted by myself before, and at this point I'm not afraid of being alone in the woods. Besides, it was still light out, so I could see everything rather well. So I said okay, and he climbed down. It was just me, my 32 caliber Marlin rifle, the grass field in front of me, and the dense woods around me. This is where things start to get strange. I sat there for a while, for what felt like an eternity and it was now almost twilight. My concern for my dad was growing because he was still not back. I was worried that something might have happened to him or he got lost. However, he is an experienced hunter, an expert if you will. If he were lost, he would yell or fire off a shot, but the woods had been dead silent the entire time. I figured he found a good spot that he wanted to hunt in the twilight or dusk hour of the day because that's prime time for hunting so I focused on the grass field in front of me, just watching, listening, and waiting for a deer to walk out of the field as the light of the day began to fade. Just then, across the field I saw and heard some brush moving and breaking. The thought did cross my mind that it could be my dad and I highly doubted it though. There was no way it could be him. This thing sounded incredibly heavy and that would be incredibly dangerous and stupid. I raised my rifle and pulled back the hammer. I aimed it at the moving brush and patiently waited for what I hoped was a deer to walk out. Then a girl floated out of the woods onto the grassy field. She was transparent white with a long flowing dress and long white hair. She sailed from one side of the field to the other and disappeared back into the woods. I watched her for a solid minute or two. I could not believe my eyes and I was petrified. Now, I wanted my dad back instantly. 
A short time had gone by, and it was now pitch black out here, and I was still all alone. My concern for my dad turned into a panic, but I was too afraid to yell or look for him in the pitch black woods where I had just seen a ghost. I sat there for hours, terrified all alone in the darkness. Thankfully, he finally returned. He acted as if he hadn't been gone for long at all. I asked him where the heck he went, and he said that he just went for a short walk up the trail, turned around, and came back. The timeline made no sense because he was gone for easily two hours. It was unlike him to leave me alone for that long. He was adamant that he was only gone for 15 to 30 minutes. We walked down the trail back to his truck and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. The whole experience still confuses me to this day. Was the ghost I saw an old slave or enslaver buried in the woods behind me? Or something else entirely? Did my dad go through some sort of time warp? Maybe time sped up for him or slowed down for me? I don't know. I never went hunting there again and I don't plan on returning to those woods at all. Another spooky one from the Swamp Dweller. As we bring him on in nightly on this show, go hit subscribe on his YouTube channel. YouTube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and it always makes for a good time. Thousands of stories for you to hear. I literally listen after this show each and every night when I'm heading off to bed. All right, it is time once again where we bring in the fedora-wearing John Hudson for the unbiased UFO report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Doing pretty good, Dave. How about you, man? Good. Looks like you had a nice clean shave this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, once while you trip and fall on a razor, so yeah. Oh, I know that feeling. Like I know that yeah. feeling all too well. If I, a tear in the sky, man. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. Yeah, I got it. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I've been kind of waiting to, to get some more data, but yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, um, the, the equipment they were using, um, specifically that that one that went, you know, from you know, up to like a hundred and like, I mean, I couldn't believe the range she was getting on that thing. I, I desperately want one. Um, yeah, pretty excited about it. It should be quite interesting to see it rolled out. All right. Lots of news uh, today in the UFO world, including yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson taking more heat again over this subject as he seems to be very much enjoying this battle online with everybody snarking the living daylights out of him about his ignorance regarding UFOs. Well, it, it's it's very entertaining because, you know, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, is obviously a very, very bright man. Yes. And um, and he's well-read and, uh, and he's got a lot of good connections, so I'm sure he actually can gather a lot of good information as it is. But what I find funny is, is that the position that he's put himself in he's developed a belief system around his data and it's the belief system that he's, he's hanging on to. And the challenge with that is, is it, you can see it in his eyes. Like there's a, uh, I wouldn't go so far as say smugness. I don't know if that's really fair, but there's a little bit of, of, of overconfidence in it. He really believes, he really actually believes that in the end, he's going to be proved right. He really does. 
And so that's almost the entertaining aspect of it because you, you can see him going through the motions and you're thinking, wow, man, you, you what? This isn't an act. You, you really don't get this, do you? It's like, whoa, how'd that happen? You know, kind of amazing. Well, you, you know what the thing that really irks me about Neil deGrasse Tyson is there are numerous peers with the exact same education that he has that are studying this subject with the ferocity of trying to find answers. Avi Loeb, to name one, at Harvard. Okay, and and yet DeGrasse Tyson seems to not want to have those conversations with his peers to say, look at the data, look at the evidence. There's something here, and our job as scientists is to conduct science, not opinion, science. So it shouldn't matter what he believes. Yeah, I know, I know, I know it shouldn't. And 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 to be very honest with you, like I don't, um, I'm not really familiar with his day to day life. I I don't know, I don't know how much, I don't know how much, um, you know, experimental science he's, he's actually involved in that anymore. Um, but um, you know, it, it, the thing is, is that he does represent a good constituent of, of the country that are people that you know that you know that if you could present the data to them in the right way, they would absolutely understand it because they're smart, brilliant people. For some reason, there's some blockage going on. So you really don't want to hold it against them because at some point they're going to come around. Um, but, you know, there it, it is definitely um, very, 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 very challenging. And and the problem is for him is that he came out early, right? And he, I, my guess is he didn't want to. My guess is he was forced to come out early. So he had to kind of declare his position a while ago. These new cats, they're kind of coming in a little later in the game. And so it, it, for them, it was less of a bet, right, to, to go with the, the current idea than it was to stick with the old idea because we were further along in the storyline. There was slightly less risk. He took a lot of risk and bet wrong, um, and he bet early. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's – I mean, it'll be, he'll be fine. I mean, any scientist that can't um, – they can't laugh at his own his own mistakes and 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 enjoy his own inaccuracies. It is in for a whole world of hurt for many different reasons. So my guess is that he'll he'll be able to laugh at this too, and hopefully we all will as well. But uh, the one thing I will say about this specific interview with him that I thought was very interesting was one, um, the interviewer pulled him away from the UFO topic. Um, the UFO topic was brought up first, and he pulled him away. And pulled him into discussions about the multiverse and about um, one other topic as well, um, which I thought was interesting. The, 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 the interviewer, one, wanted the UFO topic first, and two, gave it equal billing to these two other topics that are, are you know, honestly, kind of in the whole wheelhouse. But I was kind of surprised. So it almost seemed like he was trying to keep Neil deGrasse Tyson from saying too much. In a way, maybe I'm totally speculating there. But what I will say is, in that discussion, that small thing that Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson had, he was much more. There, there was a new, there was a new humility there, and there was a new carefulness there, and it was the first time I've gotten a glint from him that he might need to start hedging his bets. I think he might be getting that finally getting that message i refuse to give a little less aggressive him and bill nye the useless science guy i refuse to give them any credit on this on hedging their bets just yet i know you're an optimist i'm not trying to be a pessimist here but i mean these guys literally 
have torn up this entire subject and laughed at it and laughed at the position, laughed at the government, laughed at people who've had experiences, laughed at everything due to their own ego and ignorance. And re- and the sad part about it is you talk to somebody as brilliant as Dr. Bob McGuire, a.k.a. Science Bob around here, who has a similar type educational background, and, and you look at what he states, which is our job as scientists, not my job because I'm not a scientist, but quoting him, our job as scientists is to keep the door open. You know, there is no closing the door. It, it is to look for anomalies then try to predict them, and then demonstrate new knowledge. I mean, it's like, it's all about the curiosity. It's all about the weird. It's all about the, wait, why did that happen, right? I mean, look, we don't need science to explain the simple stuff, right? I mean, come on, right? So, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, but look, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, in someone in his position, with his background, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I really, as much as I would like to, I really, I really cannot honestly say if I grew up the same way he did that I would be taking a different position than him right now. Uh, he he yeah, lives he, in a beautiful, comfy, you know, um, beautiful, beautiful world of, of 20th century science. And it's a nice place to live. Well, I understand that and I can appreciate that. But you know what? He's also, it with his popularity taking science and scientists, future scientists, down a very dangerous road where opinion means more than the scientific data. Yes. However, we do have an interesting situation here where his his second career choice might end up um, biting him because he's not just a scientist anymore. He's also a TV personality, right? And and the thing is, is that in, once you get into the TV side of things, there is a, um, a capitalistic nature to how things are handled. And um, if we start getting um, uh, younger, um, uh, uh, more charismatic, um, uh, maybe even slightly brighter with a kind of a cute uh, English accent type uh, physicist to come out and start saying stuff, uh, you might see a big pivot away from Neil deGrasse Tyson and that might hit his pocketbook. And that is where you might start to see some change. All right. Well, <clears throat> I've been losing my voice today. I apologize. John, One of the, I, I want to just wrap it up by saying this. To me, it's disappointing. It's disappointing oh, that, agree. and, you know, I've talked to a lot of scientists behind the scenes, okay, members of the SCU, members of, you know, even day-to-day scientists who are in our chat room, okay? Uh, Joe Muggs a scientist. Uh, Uncle Dale and his power stash are both scientists, okay? We have a number of scientific people who listen to this show because they have an interest in it. And we have a number of people who have been on this show and that I have talked to behind the scenes regarding this subject, and they're taking it very, very real. Very real. And... I just think it's a dangerous precedent with the pull that DeGrasse Tyson has to be as naive on this subject as possible. And when yep. you're, it, and it, it's yep. the same thing when we talk about the Bigfoot world or the paranormal world. When you're conducting opinion, you're not conducting science and you're not solving anything. And a scientist's job is to solve these awesome mysteries that are out there. And even if you don't yep. solve them, you look into them 
because the possibilities are endless. All right, let's yep. mo- let's move on to topic number two. I don't know if you had a chance to look into this today or not, but apparently I got a message from, oh, I, I think I can say his name, Tom Whitmore from MUFON, mm-hmm. that apparently the Two of the Stars Academy are back in the news looking for funding. Did you get a chance to check this out? Oh, that, yeah, that's actually, um, um, I, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but that's actually, um, that happened a couple weeks ago, I think it was. I got the notification because I was one of the fools that bought into the first group. So, um, um, so yeah, so yeah, so they're trying to raise more money now as, as just arts, not, um, not science anymore. How do you feel about this? Um... I, well, basically, um, for me, um, it's weird. I thought I talked about this. Um, so for me, it, it, it all has to do with the strike price. That's all that matters, right? And, and unless you've ever lived in this world, it's the strike price is basically what you have personally set the stock value to be at because it's not publicly traded. So you get to kind of make it up, kind of, not really. There are some rules, not many. And so essentially, that strike price is what's important. Now, uh, each time a startup goes for a new round of funding, you should see that their valuation should jump dramatically. I mean, it should kind of double, right? And and with that doubling, you should see the stock go up, right? The, well, the, the asking price, right? The fact that we did not see TTSA's strike price go up in the first two stock offerings, if this one is at the same price as those first two, what it shows is they're documenting they've added no value in the entire time they've been in business. Well, I'm going to read what their press release said today because Carrie DeLong actually got off her ass and did something for for a press release. So God bless her for actually doing her job and getting paid six figures for it. it, it Encinitas, California, May 25th, 2022. Investor momentum is building for To The Stars, Inc.'s Reg A crowdfunding campaign fueled by a recent uptick in global attention to videos of official military footage depicting encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena given to, to the two the stars and highlighted in last week's government hearings. Founded in 2017 by platinum-selling musician Tom DeLong from Blink-182 and Angels and Airwaves, former CIA officer Jim Semiman and physicist Dr. Hal Putoff, she forgot a period after the DR and a comma after physicist, yeah, PR person. To the Stars is raising up to $30 million for the globally diversified media and entertainment company to support its collaboration between academia, industry, and pop culture to advance society's imagination, curiosity, and understanding of scientific phenomena and other mysteries of the universe. Proceeds will support future To the Stars entertainment initiatives, since Tom's out of debt from the first crowdfunding and including content across music, TV, films, books, and merchandise through its wholly owned subsidiary to the Stars Media, Inc. Major new media coverage of the video footage in outlets such as ABC News and NBC News highlighted the UAP encounters and reported on last week's government hearings on the subject as breaking news. The videos were originally cleared and approved for public release 
to create credibility around a notoriously convoluted and uncredible topic, and the New York Times independently verified and covered the story in a front-page expose published in conjunction with Research for To The Stars book series, Secret Machines. It wasn't in conjunction with Secret Machines. Oh, the arrogance of this is just unflappable. Unflappable. This is your guy here, your hero, John. My hero? Dave, what makes you think I have heroes? Um, uh, so, um, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, I would love to go skate with the dude. I, I think he'd be a lot of fun for an afternoon. Um, but um, uh, the thing is, is that 30 million... Okay, so, you know, when you're doing this, you're basically, what you're calculating is you're calculating what your monthly burn rate is, and then you're figuring out how long it is you think it's going to be before you either break even or you have to go out and ask for more money, right? And typically, they don't want that to be too long, and they also don't want that to be too short. So they want to have some control over how close you are tied to the purse strings. So the investors will, will basically want to know what your burn rate is, and they'll kind of calculate that into it and so forth. And so what I'm wondering, because it doesn't sound like they say it anywhere, maybe I can find out, is what is their burn rate and how long do they expect that 30 million to last? And do they expect that 30 million to get them the profitability or do they expect to have to go back and ask for more after that 30 million is out? They should be declaring that in their paperwork. Uh, and that would be interesting to see. Cause the other thing I want to know is, is that 30 million and now added on to the existing value that, that was gained through raising money in the company, or did they wipe out the previous and this is new? Oh, I think this is brand new. I think it's another cash grab that's going nowhere for stockholders. Look at the press release. Couldn't even put a period after doctor. Space Down Radio is unbiased UFO report with John Hudson continues right after this. I'm going to read the rest of this. How hard is it to get a friend to just proofread something for you? The talks between the military and Congress are indeed heartening. The more Congress is able to learn. I, I will say this. At least they weren't saying they owned the videos anymore. That they should have never been allowed to put their logos on when they were going Dave, through the Dave, what's the, the date media. on that? May 25th. This came out today. So, oh my God. You know what that means they did, Dave? They actually did this offering a while ago, and they're basically trying to redo it as new to jump on the momentum of the hearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, oh, to the Stars has forged relationships with experts at the highest levels of government, academia, and science who have firsthand publicly available knowledge and unreleased government report. The company's scientific advisory board is comprised of individuals from prestigious government agencies and academic institutions who led vast knowledge, who lend vast knowledge and experience in support of its mission to offer informed storytelling where the line between science and science fiction is often blurred. Our long-standing entertainment skill set fuses pop culture and communications expertise to craft the international narrative around the videos for years to come. We have eyewitness accounts and anecdotes from best-in-class trained observers like military fighter pilots who felt comfortable bringing their story to us 
because they trusted us to handle it with care, said DeLong. The future holds exciting opportunities, and we're fascinated with the unexplained. I can't wait for investors to join me as we experience more fun adventures and change the way we view the world, said DeLong. Oh, this now, is horrible. It should, be, it should be noted that what he actually has skills in is uh, the artistic media side of the house. And so, believe it or not, um, this may actually be a wiser investment than the other ones were because this is something that they could actually do um, uh, by themselves um, and th- because they've been doing it. So, you, you mean, they can at least publish books. We've seen them do it. And the rumor is they made a movie. So that's at least one movie in the can, right? Um, and so, you know, so, hey, they're a movie studio, right? Uh, um, cl- uh, class a- DreamWorks 2.0. Cl- class A common stock at U.S. dollars, five dollars. <throat> Which reminds me. Oh I should... no! Oh yeah! Here we yeah, go. That means it didn't. It didn't go up. No, it ain't going up. If you want to learn how to waste money on the stock market real quick, send your money to the to the Stars Media. Well, but the thing is, though, Dave, is that realistically, like I said, you know, before, uh, no, especially knowing what we know now, um, you know, you could argue it wasn't so much a smart move. But the thing is, is that there is a very, very good chance that TTSA will actually make a lot of money making movies and books. And if they do make a lot of money making movies and books, then that stock actually could be worth something. So it's kind of crazy. But this, I mean, of the three times they've asked for investment, this is the one time I think you could actually evaluate it as somewhat, you know, logical. Because it is something they can do that they've been doing for a couple of years. They've demonstrated it. Well, there's it, little it, risk there. In my stocks today, I made a total of one cent. I have two stocks. Hmm. I'm just getting into the stock game. My one stock went up by two cents. Buy low, sell high. And my other stock went down by one. So I made one penny today. I'm in the black, people. I'm in. I'm, I'm positive. I'm investment positive right now. By one penny. Yeah. Take that. I'm moving on up. Nice. I made a penny today. What the hell is with all these porno things? Seriously. Quit the porno. Report. Coming up in the world. Hey, do you... you, Okay, uh, Dave, I'm probably going to offend some people by asking this, but I'm just going to ask. Um, uh, What's Canada's stock market like? Much like the American stock market? No, but what I'm saying is, is it, it, it is any of your market attached to any of our market like some countries do? Oh, yeah. Or is it? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Everything's attached to your market. Okay, hold on. We got 10 seconds here.
second and third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate it. want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button, our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with the unbiased UFO report. Our big man, John Hudson, is on the ball. Yes, he does have his fedora on. John, how you doing? Doing good, sir. Doing good. All right. Yeah, don't invest in the two of the stars. Just going to pull that out right Be careful. Now. Be careful. Make, 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 uh, consult your own stock advisors. Make your own financial investments. And if you, have, Radio and, makes and if no, you have a stock no advisor, contributions or advisements of financial institutions. And if you have, you have a be stock, careful, Dave. yeah, I realize that. But if you have a stock advisor that that recommends this stock and this portfolio, I highly recommend you find another one that wears a vest. They always seem to wear vests. Why do stock market people always wear a vest? That's what I want to know. If they're bulletproof. It's for their safety. Maybe. All right, let's move on here, my friend, as we continue with the unbiased UFO report. And, oh, let's see here. Gallagher smashes the watermelon, and Steve Bassett makes sense. Now, this is a rarity in the UFO world where Steve Bassett is making sense. I know, I know. Um, Yeah, so, yeah. First off, explain who Steve Steve Bassett is. Gallagher. Oh, so Steve, so Steve Bassett, so Steve Bassett is someone everyone should research because Steve Bassett is, um, he is the, um, he is the original self-proclaimed, um, lobbyist for our world, essentially. And, um, and he saw success and failure in, in, in all over the place, but he's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, was very, very involved in that first, um, mock congressional, um, um, hearing with the with the nukes and, and so forth, and and he's done. He has a magnificent collection of data that he shares out. He's you know he, he's a good guy. The challenge is is that he has been um, a real cheerleader for a long time, and so if you've been hearing him get really excited for a long time, it starts to kind of get frustrating because he seems to always get excited, and then and then and then he's always excited. And this time he was actually more grounded and more pragmatic. And um, and actually said something that I, I I don't know if he realized how intelligent it was, but I I got to read the quote. He said, um, it, it, "What he's referring to is is what he believes the government is going to have to do to get themselves out of the situation they put themselves into." And he said, "They will have to lie their way out of a much bigger lie." And I'm okay with this. <laughs> Why are you okay with I, this? No, no, no. That was Stephen's quote. That, that was, okay. That was part uh. of his quote. That was part of his quote. That was, that was part of his quote. So, um, so, uh, but the thing is, is it, is it, is it, Stephen Bassett has, has been around for a long time. He understands how this works. He understands the nuances of it. And so what he's saying there is actually, you know that was like that was like his inside voice talking when it's not supposed to, right? Um, being really, really honest, and and he's right. 
I mean, that's the thing that's really funny is he's right. Is essentially they're going to have to come up with something that is a little bit less of a lie, hopefully a lot less of a lie, but it's still going to be some sort of a lie because they have to cover up all the previous lies. So, um, and, you know, if you're not okay with that, then you haven't really ever worked in government before. So there's some real pragmatism to it. Mm. Well, you it's know, funny. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, well, this is what Steve Bassett has dreamed of. Dreamed of. I know, I know, I know, I know. And the thing is, you can hear it. I mean, and you can go back and listen to him before, and you can hear it then, too. And, um, you know, uh, I, I all I can say is that I hope he lives for a long time and sees as much of it as he can. Because if anyone deserves to see it, it's Bassett, without a doubt. That guy has bled on more books than anyone I've ever met. It's amazing. He's a he's a trooper. All right. Finally tonight. Finally Gallagher. tonight. Okay. What what's the Gallagher part? So the problem with Gallagher is so Gallagher for people where he was the one that asked about the Wilson document, right? Right. Well, I guess uh, today or yesterday he came out and kind of backpedaled that a bit and basically tried to claim that uh, oh I just brought up the Wilson document to get it out of the way. Sounds like there was a backdoor meeting. Yes, it does. Because that doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, like, I don't even care how you cut it, right? Like, the timing of it, how he said it, when he said it, what he said, when he said it. Like, that did not feel in any way, shape, or form like something you were trying to get out of the way, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. So, um, so somebody got there. Some, somebody, somebody got spoken to is what I think happened. Um, and, uh, but very funny. Um, and very interesting to see the, the tit for tat, right? Uh, the in and out, you know, because it's all still baseball, right? Well, that is very true. And, and when you're playing a very political game like he is right now with this topic of UAP, he probably may not have learned what he can and cannot say yet. I mean, oh, absolutely. Out, I mean, don't forget, he came out guns blazing on the Pat McAfee show, you know, where he was talking mm -hmm. about everything from time travelers to outer space, aliens, extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. This is uncomfortable talk for somebody who's been voted in. Yep. And, and keep in mind, too, that we're still, everything we've been dealing with up to now has all been the House, right? And the House is very different than the Senate. And the House is kind of expected to be a more diverse group with more um, outbound ideas and, and more, um, you know, more emotional sort of, of responses to things. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the culture of, of, of the house. And, um, and so it brings them to see what sort of demeanor we see when the Senate takes us on, you know? Very true. Very true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Finally tonight, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the late astronaut, what do you got on him? Yes. Yeah. So basically I was listening to a, a, a very old interview of him and what I found very, very interesting about it was, was that this interview took place in 1996, okay? And um, immediately, Dr. Mitchell starts talking, you know, Art asks Art Bell, who's interviewing him, um, and if you don't know who Art Bell is, I, I, I can't help you. Um, and, uh, and so he's interviewing him, and, and, he, and Art Bell brings up time travel and kind of, you know, blows it off. And, and, uh, and Mitchell's, Dr. Mitchell's like, well, wait a second, I, you know, don't. Don't, don't be so hasty yet. There's some, and he starts talking about some very interesting work that's been going on, some papers that have been written, and he starts talking about the manipulation of space-time metrics. And he starts talking about 
um, you know, this and that, and starts talking about modifying local space-time metrics to cause an illusion where time would be going different, where the speed of light might be going faster than it really is, and you might be able to actually get some sort of a time. And he's like describing all this stuff, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's actually... And now the thing is, is it, it, it's not super spooky because the Alkirby, Alkirby, no Alkirby. Oh man, I'm destroying that poor guy's name. Al the, the nice, the nice gentleman uh, Miguel who wrote the um, 1994 paper uh, on wormhole, where he actually got a, a wormhole, a, a warp bubble to work in uh, in relativity in a, in a very natural way. Um, and it, it's a paper that's been revised several times because his energy levels in the beginning were enormous. And so the fact that um, this paper was published in 1994, in 1996, Edgar Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell was already talking about not just that paper, but subsequent papers that were being worked on in the world he worked in, specifically about this idea of modifying local space-time metrics to achieve faster than light travel. And um, so you can partially explain it by the fact that, that that paper just came out two hour, two years earlier. But at the same time, I found it very interesting and a little bit spooky and perhaps even a little bit sad that um, essentially the primary method of, of propulsion and so forth that was being discussed by Dr. Edgar Mitchell in 1986 is pretty much the exact same thing we're talking about today. Awesome. Awesome. Fedora John? I got to say this, though, about Dr. Edgar Mitchell. I hmm. really wish he was around to see what's oh, going on today. Him and, Stanton, oh, yeah. him and Stanton Friedman tag teaming this whole project that we are calling, you know, congressional hearings. I mean, you know Mitchell would be called to testify at Congress. You know he would. Right? You know that Friedman would be right in the middle of all this with Elizondo and Danny Sheehan and all of them. Maybe we can get one of the astronauts to punch somebody. That would be great. They're the only ones who can get away with it. No one else can. So, so what happened to poor Will Smith? Um, so yeah. So you know. Oh, I tell you, man, I tell you. But well, wonder. I mean, these poor guys who did this forever, and 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 checking out right before it becomes fun. Now, well, granted, it, it, it's not their choice, it, but either way. It's um it's 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 one of the reasons why you know it, it's hard to take a, an unbiased approach to the concept of an afterlife because there's really a really good desire to have it because um you know you you want you want to you want to know that you know um that there's some continuity of some sort you know um um in light of um you know um you know, what you're experiencing and, and, um, and, you know, what's evolving and so forth. So it, it does, um, uh, I, I can't, the thing is, is that, you know, so you really hope that these, that these people, whatever they've become afterwards, they, they have some awareness and they, they, I mean, you know, my, my hope is always that everyone gets all their answers that they want to get, you know, after they, you know, exit, whether they're, you know, real answers or not. Um, but, uh, in the end, to me, it is, it is always, the the coolest, most interesting, most challenging, most worthwhile, most absolutely stunningly just amazing projects that become generational. 
And, and you, what you'll find is that those are the projects that are always worth working. And you never know what part of that generational rotation you'll be in. And you might not be in the best part, but it doesn't mean your work isn't important. Very well said. Very well stated. John, it has been a pleasure to have you on tonight. We'll talk to you next time on the big show for the Unbiased UFO Report. Great report tonight, my friend. And uh, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. John Hudson, the fedora-wearing wonder of the Unbiased UFO Report. Let's get to Shirky Poo's news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's news. Yes, there is no better intro to any news network on the planet besides Shirky Poo's news. So let's get right to it here. All right, we're going to start off, I believe, in Australia here. Yeah, Adelaide, Australia. A club for pagans, witches, and Satanists says its affiliation with the Adelaide University Union has been rejected because of a complaint its members may summon the devil onto campus. Even if we did want to summon Satan, it's not against university or union policy to do so, so it is still not really grounds to reject us, Adelaide University Occult Club President Ashley Towner said. The Adelaide University Occult Club was formed in late 2020 and provisionally registered with the Adelaide University Union in early 21. But earlier this month, an application for full registration was not approved. The club is now planning to appeal the decision of the AUU Club's committee to the union's board. However, the same conservative progress faction controls both bodies. Registration opens up for funding for clubs, as well as access to space and equipment at the university. The club is now unaffiliated and unable to meet on university grounds. Well, that's just terrible. How can you not let them hail Satan on university grounds? Beelzebub is not going to be in action putting a devil aside for me, for me, for me, at the Adelaide University. And, and what are the witches and the the other guys doing, hanging out with them Satanists? Come on. Have your own club. Instead of trying to summon the devil. Holy cow. Like we don't have enough troubles going on in the world without Satan coming down and screwing things up or coming up wherever he is, whatever direction. Oh, well. An Airbnb host was caught offering a rather uncomfortable an unusual-looking night's sleep in a tent for almost 60 pounds over the UK. A night! This idiot was charging 60 pounds a night to sleep in a tent, and people who booked there are now outraged. Of course, we all know that Airbnb is known for its quirky and often unconventional choices of accommodation. <coughs> Excuse me. Been losing my voice tonight. But generally, we trust the holiday rental company for an affordable yet comfy night's sleep. But one listing has completely baffled social media this week after an Airbnb lister expected holiday goers to fork out a hefty sum to sleep in a tent that's not even straightened out. And it's a pop-up tent in their back garden on concrete. 
Yep. Tourists looking to spend a couple of nights in Dublin, Ireland, could have had the luxury of staying in what appears to be a two-man tent, someone's concrete backyard. But apparently, people are offended by this. Twitter user Amy decided to share the shocking find online, which led to many pointing out that the listing surely must have been a joke. However, maybe an uncomfortable couch in the living room is something you'd prefer. I have a very large living room for that and several couches, and that's listed as well. Weird. Weird. All right, this is a sad story, but it's a weird one. When people go missing, it seems that Earth has just opened up and swallowed them without a trace. But the truth is that even the disappeared folks are always somewhere. Sometimes, well, they may not have even left their home. Construction workers recently in New York City found this out in a horrific way. On April 26th, crews were working on scaffolds outside the seventh floor of a South Jamaica Houses apartment building in Queens. The apartment, 7H's window, were open. Glancing inside, the workers noticed something chilling. On a bed inside the apartment laid the skeletal, decayed remains of a human being. Authorities later confirmed that the body belonged to one Marilyn McMichael. She was 54 years old, been reported missing since January of 2022. However, she may have been dead for longer than that, based on the advanced decomposition of her body and the open page on her calendar. Michael McMichael may have died already in August of 2020, but how could that be? Missing for a year and a half in her own apartment? Wouldn't her landlord have at least figured something out? The renters or the rents not being paid? Maybe the foul odor? Yeah, that's what McMichael's foster sisters want to know. They feel that their loved one was let down and may have even died because of neglect from authorities. And yeah, they say it was nothing wrong or unusual for not hearing from McMichael. She would go extended periods of time without saying hello because she just simply didn't want to. Not hearing from her was not uncommon. A couple of years would go by. She would partic- she was particular and peculiar. One of the last times uh, her sister saw McMichael came in June 2020. The first wave of coronavirus was just about to start dying down when they got a call from her. She wanted me to take her to the hospital, said one of the sisters. She didn't sound sick at all. She sounded a little manic, and I was trying to explain to her that they're not accepting people at the hospital right now. Nonetheless, McMichael's behavior on the phone concerned Jones and McElrath, her sisters. Uh, together, they decided to go for a visit with their foster sister, but to no avail. We would never get to come even close to her door. Despite knocking and calling for McMichael, she would never respond. Once again, not unusual behavior. They finally filed a missing persons report on January 26th, and they met with housing police officers from the New York City Housing Authority to see what was going on, and they learned that McMichael had not paid her rent for more than a year. Why wouldn't they go in there? This is ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. This sounds like a lawsuit, does it not? Sounds like an absolute lawsuit about to happen here. That's what I'm going to expect. Yeah. Michael's sisters are about to be very wealthy. All right. 
I don't know where Shirky Poo comes up with these stories sometimes. I just read them. Kieran Lee made a pretty big name for himself in the adult entertainment industry in large part due to his manhood. His tool of his trade is so important. He's now insured it for a small fortune. With inflation, it's gone up. It's gone up. However, while the appendage may look impressive on camera, he admitted that uh, he's a grower, not a shower. But either way, his cock-a-doodle-doo, who are you, seems to be worth a lot of money. We're talking almost seven figures now. Almost seven figures. My goodness. My goodness me. Where does Shirky Poo get these? And how about this one? We'll, we'll, we'll sneak this one in. A Turkish woman lived with her life thinking the man who raised her was her biological father, when in fact the man who she thought was her dad had actually murdered her biological dad years before. The woman known as Baron finally found out the crazy saga when her half-sister told her as an adult her mother had been living or having an affair with another man named Mustafa when her mother's husband, Mahir, followed the couple and ended up killing the man. Baron is now suing Mahir for denial of lineage. Oh, Shirky Poo, where do you find these? We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Space Down Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, LGAP, Facebook, Twitch, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Space Down Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the woo train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.